The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 162 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by americascardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from americascardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com and you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group and we will eventually get round to that question and Alex will answer it for you. Alex, how are you? How has your week been? And I've read some more in your newsletter, so I know there is some interesting stuff going on just now. Uh, I'm good. Thank you for having me. And... uh the week has been good. It's been a, it's been a lot of work, but very good work. I, I don't know what got into me, but over Tuesday and Wednesday, I worked twenty nine and a half hours, and I slept three hours, and my breaks were three hours of sleep. I went to the weight room. And I had dinner. Otherwise, I was working. But that's because I I wanted to create a new product. And I'm really big on challenging myself because I, I don't know what other good fight there is. I, do, I don't really feel that good if I'm doing things passively in life. I don't know why I've always been like that. It's it's not a high performer thing either. People think it is, but what really it comes from is a place of self-disgust. If I if I'm not pushing myself, I always feel like what all the opportunities you've been given, what what if you could see yourself right now back when you had to when you were a commercial fisherman for months and like right as you got home, you had to go back into landscaping and working security. If you could, if that version of you could see you right now and see you resting on your laurels, what would that guy think? Right. And by the way, if you're not waking up, if you're not working till two thirty, three thirty, four thirty in the morning to keep your spot, somebody else is working that hard to try and take it. So you need to keep going. And I had this idea, what if you could make a class that if somebody watched that class, now, it wouldn't be hard to understand. It might be a little harder to memorize uh, just because memorization is difficult, but it wouldn't be hard to understand. Could you make a poker system that would get anybody to make money in tournament poker anywhere on earth? Uh, 
assuming the tournament's not like a really high-level tournament. And if you could do that, would you give them basic... Me- I, I, the name of my webinars are always Master This, Master That. I don't know if I would call it Mastery. Of course, the webinar is going to be called Master, and I'm going to keep it there because I, I don't know if I should unveil it. But uh, it's, uh, I think I figured it out. I really think I figured it out. I did it all based on analytics, uh, just database. I got the biggest databases I could, and I tried to see what numbers held in pretty much any poker market so I could understand the average poker player. And it's, it's funny because I was reading books about economics and investing, and every single great investor said, understand human incentives, and you will understand the world. And my God, Barry, when you get into what people actually do... Like, the average person folds to river bets 20% of the time. 80% of the time, they're going to call you because they just want to see what your hand is, right? So whenever we see these really big triple-barrel bluffs on TV or on training videos that people are really into, that's actually a very rare play that you shouldn't engage in that much. So what I was trying to do was create a system where... How could you get the most value? What would you do? Why would you be trying to get value with this? How could you get yourself in a position to get that value? If someone check-raised you, what would you do? What do the numbers say that person is doing on average? What would that mean if you did on these hands? And it was this, this undertaking that I've been working at privately with my students for months, right? Because essentially this is my assignment every time my students hire me, which is, hey, uh, we've got three to seven or eight hours together. I'm a busy person. I don't have 60 hours a week to, to study the game. Why don't you give me the game that you use now that you've studied so much? Now, obviously, I can't give you my game note for note because it's going to be so difficult to explain the subtleties that come with true mastery in a decade of experience, right? But uh, I can give you a game that will get you high-level competence, uh, that will get you a black belt. Uh, Now, what degree of black belt you get after that uh, black belt is achieved, that's up to you. That's up to how much do you want to work, but Making money at tournaments, I think I found a way to do that in one class. And it was, uh, I just like trying to do those things. You know what I mean, Barry? Just like, can I do that? Yeah. And by the way, every time I put these things together, I understand the game much more intimately at the end. I look at, because while I'm writing and I'm thinking, okay, now if someone knew this strategy, what would my defense be? And okay, how would I spot someone who isn't a practitioner of what the field does? And I'm always think the longer I spend in the problems, the more my ta- ta- the more time I spend thinking about the game, the more my understanding of no limit hold'em deepens, and I'm really falling in love with that process again. The last time I played poker online, a couple nights ago, I just felt so in control, and I went on this on this flop. I'm going to do this for this reason. I think that 
I, and I'm more than that, I go, I, I know so-and-so has the argument you do this. I don't like that argument because of this. I know this is a play I should throw in 20% of the time because of this. And I've never felt this good at the game. And last night I pushed myself to, I wrote the hardest parts of, because it's a, it's a very tough thing to go, okay, here's all the hands you should open with, three bet, four bet, uh, here's all the hands, here's what you should do pre-flop, uh, here are the statistics for it, here's the databases, here's the flopzilla readouts, and then post-flop, you need to be doing this, because that, that like, looking at that, uh, a week or so ago, it looked like an insurmountable task. It looked insurmountable. And when I debut this product, it's not even going to be for weeks. I'm not even on a deadline. But I wanted to see, can I push myself without a deadline? Do I still have that in me? And can I, if I can push myself on that deadline, can I produce something that I think is better than all the other training equipment out there I really am getting to the point I want to be a champion when I play poker at the table and I want to be the best tournament coach on earth and no one is going to outwork me to, to get there I, I, I'm in a better time than I've ever been in my life there's never going to be another time I have no dependence I'm in an amazing city like New York I'm in better and better shape as I work with my personal trainer, as I cook for myself, as I diet. Uh, I'm never going to be this far ahead of the game if I have, you know, a family to attend to or something like that. And I just, to get to that point, I, uh, I, I feel amazing, Barry, and I, I'm sorry. I know it's always weird at the beginning of the show that you're like, how are you doing? It's like, well, give me 15 minutes, right? <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you, but it, at the same time, this is a bit my audio blog. It is Ask Alex, but yeah. uh, it, it, I, I got to a point last night. I, I, uh, I, I just I thought of all the... Honestly, I thought of all the people who had wronged me. I thought about all the people who had stolen money from me, all the people I'd helped when they were down and then were the first to throw me away when I was going through problems, uh, all the people who mocked me when I got fat, uh, all the forum threads about me with just slaughter, and all the like newspaper articles with just lies, just lies written up that like drove a wedge through my family. And I, I thought about what it was like being poor, uh, gr growing up wearing the same sweatshirt all the time, this hand-me-down sweatshirt with holes. Uh, my girlfriend reminded me of that recently because she knew me back in high school, and I, I always had the same sweatshirt, and it was just riddled with holes, right? And I just I thought of that, and I was looking at what I had just created, and I, I felt this profound sense of I have mastered myself. And I looked in the mirror where I was 50 pounds heavier uh, one year ago today, and I just I, I felt like I mastered myself. And there's this really, it's not a monetary thing anymore. It's 
I want that feeling for the rest of my life. Like, I am at command. I, I am the commander of my destiny. I have not known this feeling in a very long time, and I, I really messed it. It's, uh, so, and yeah, Atlantic City is, Atlantic City's coming up in about eight days. I'm going to the Borgata Winter Poker Open, so let's, Let's see what happens, right? Let's uh, yeah. Let's yeah. get it. Let's get it done. Not not nearly as nice as uh, the capital of uh, Quebec, but uh, uh, hopefully Nucky Thompson doesn't put a cap in my ass while I'm walking a boardwalk. But yeah. we'll see. Yeah. So we'll how, see what so happens. How is poker in Atlantic City? I don't know. I've never been. Right. I've right. Uh, Borgata. Uh, Borgata is huge. Uh, the last time they ran this event, they uh, they had 1,200 runners, and first place for like a $3,000 buy-in was $800,000, <laughs> so yeah, I'm hoping, uh, I estimated my ROI in that tournament to be about a, well, I humbly, I'm not, it's, I understand more about the field, the American field, than very few players and the American field is ripe for the taking and it's even better on the East coast. Uh, I find the East coast players. I like East coast players cause they play fast and Los Angeles and Las Vegas is just this cauldron of amazing players. And, uh, just growing up playing poker on the West coast, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of just do-or-die Vietnamese immigrants I was always playing against that just were just... I think they were amazing for learning how to play live poker because English was their second language. I think they had so many years under their belt of reading body language to understand what a person was feeling, and they were very good at reading you at the table, and they were just grinders, right? that always were looking for that extra bet. And they were capable of doing anything at any time. And they were the original poker groups that would go together. And having cut my teeth in L.A. and Las Vegas and Seattle, I, I, I'm not even a big fan of the West Coast. I really like the East Coast probably more than the West Coast. In the United States, I have no desire to go back to Seattle, uh, where I'm from. Uh, New York is better than Los Angeles. Angeles by a country mile, but the caliber of player on the West Coast is ferocious, and these places like Montreal and Baltimore and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and uh, Atlantic City, Foxwoods, every time I've been exposed to poker in the East Coast, or Turning Stone even, I, I had a final table there, every time I've been exposed to poker in the East Coast, I've walked away going, I love how fast they play, I love how they play for fun, and I love that they're not trying to kill me every hand, whereas uh, it was just a war on the West Coast. I mean, people, like, just screaming, I'm going to kill you and stuff, and <laughs> tables, you know, and F you. It's a, it's a war, whereas every time I play on the East Coast, uh, it, you get used to East Coasters are a little rude, but it's a lot like being in Ireland. When I was in Ireland the first time, it was off-putting how many smart-ass comments people make. 
But then on day three, you get over yourself and you realize that's just how these people are. They're not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. It's the same thing on the East Coast. And I actually find the I love the East Coast. I love the honesty. After being in Costa Rica where people could look you in the eye and say one thing and completely mean another, which is... Uh, it's just, it's just the way people are down there. You're expected to keep... It, it's a social norm that you don't confront somebody. Uh, that's a huge social faux pas, right? So people don't really have a choice, but a lot of times they'll nod and smile when they don't want to, and then you find out, oh, they they totally didn't agree with you there. To go from there to the East Coast where people just... What they're thinking, they're going to tell you. It's coming out. You're going to hear it, and you'll always know how you stand with them. I, I find that very refreshing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were talking, we were talking about, about... I can hear myself hear back, myself. Alex. Mm. Sorry about that. Let me mute it while you talk. Yeah. Alex likes to do that every show, just because it's like a you know a feature of the OneHour.com podcast. Um, yeah, we, me and Alex were talking before the show started that I'm looking at... Uh, book in Vegas for this summer and he was mentioning that you know the Atlantic City trip coming up and stuff and we touched on it about it's hard to explain but my way is like I was struggling to get you know people that were you know because a lot of my friends have got real jobs working for people and they have a certain set amount of days for holidays and stuff and my brother as well and I was like you know you fancy Vegas and I'm getting offered a phenomenal a deal through the M Life program for like comp rooms at the Bellagio and stuff. Just pay the room tax, and it's I'm looking at it, and the more and more I look at it, it's like it's actually crazy if I don't go because I know I want to go back to Vegas again. And the last time I was there, I was with my fiance, so I didn't play much poker. You know, we we did a lot of uh, other stuff, and it's like, but then there's this part of me that remembers the last time I went and played for two weeks in Vegas. And I would say, you know, the last year and a half, I'm a little bit back in love with poker. I'm playing more. I'm going to be playing a local game tomorrow. But 2012, I was, like, super into, like, just playing all the time. And I was in Vegas for two weeks. And after day 10, I wanted to come home. Now, I was there on my own in terms of I got a flight on my own and hotel room on my own. But there was two other guys from Scotland at the same time from the same city. Well, they played in the same card room as me. And they were there, and it was still. I just went, oh, yeah, I'm go. If I could get home now, I'd go home after ten days. And so it's kind of like this weird situation where I'm looking at booking eleven nights or two weeks, and then I'm like, well, just reminding myself of the mindset then, and it, it's hard to explain. I think it's the home comfort thing, and also when you travel on your own, it can get. It's weird. It's like lonely, and I. I never really used to get like that. Don't get me wrong, I've always enjoyed being places with other people to share it with, whether it's friends or, you know, my fiancé or even people you meet locally. And there are people in Vegas who I meet up with now, like regular. I met Carlos last time I was there. I'm, I always meet up with Marco from Quad Jacks and Eduardo, the other guy that was there uh, from Quad Jacks as well. But there's just this part of me that's like, I don't want to book it and then you know, bitch to my girlfriend about, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know why I did this. It's like, and we were talking, Vegas to me, the best way I can sum up is like, when you're not there, you want to get out there. 
and get back there. But when you're there, sometimes there's no place in the world that you wouldn't rather be, sort of thing. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts on that, Alex, are. We were talking about <clears> that. Uh, I'm kind of going through this right now with Atlantic City, which is... I got deep in the WCP main event one year, and... I didn't have my hotel booked for day four because I said, well, if you make day four, you're in the money and you can book another hotel. And for whatever reason, there was just no rooms available at the Rio, the Gold uh, Gold Coast, a bunch of places nearby. There was some convention in town or something. So instead of getting a good night's sleep, I ended up uh, having to truck it around uh, to find a room late at night. And I, it, it didn't change much, but, well, this leads me into my next topic, which is, for it, it only shaved 45 minutes off my sleep, but that was enough to make me feel drained uh, the next day, which I played fine anyway. I didn't play, I, I wouldn't say the most inspired poker I've ever played in my life, but I, I played fine. It, the way to get through... I, the first few years I went to Vegas, I used to always whine. I hate Vegas. I can't believe I have to come here for the WSOP. Uh, I just I hate the heat. I, I prefer the cold. Uh, I I uh, I found the city to be really fake. And lately, I've gone from hating the city to just absolutely being in love with it. To and I think part of that is maturity, realizing. There's, there's no reason you get to go out there. And the second thing is, I used to always go out there and play poker. I think, Barry, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time you went out for 12 days, you were there to make it as a poker player. You had to win something, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was playing tournaments and cash constantly, like, just hardly in the room. Well, it's funny because when I used to walk into an arcade... Uh, when I was a kid, I was really into arcades at this bowling alley. Uh, I didn't go in there thinking, I'm going to get the high score today. I went there to play. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing when you go to Las Vegas, it's a big arcade, essentially. It's an adult arcade, which is very valuable because adults who work hard deserve to play with their recreational money as long as they're responsible. And if you go in there and go, I am here to sit on my ass, listen to some wisecracking locals and play some cards, you're going to have a great time, right? You're, you're just going to have a good time because you're, you're going to get what you came for. You're going to get you be able to play some cards. You're going to have fun. If you're really hyped up about it, you can go, you can go home and play uh, some faster online poker. That's all legal now. And once you get bored at the arcade, you can do something else. I, I, I always tell people, like, Las Vegas is the greatest place in the world to do goofy stuff. Like, you can go bowl at four in the morning. You can watch uh, shows from all over the world. You can drive ATVs. And what I've done, the way I get anything done, I'll I'll tell you how I'm going to get my work done today, which is I, I feel like death reheated today after the work session I pulled on Tuesday and Wednesday. However, I'm also really addicted right now to getting ahead. I am getting ahead. I'm getting ahead on my projects. I'm 
making progress in my life and I'm really enjoying that. But I know if I tell myself, hey, you got to work eight hours today, nonstop, buddy, at the very least. And I would like it if you brought in 10. Well, I'm not going to do it because, uh, come on, man, that, that's hard, right? But if I tell myself, hey, why don't you just uh, for five minutes work on this project? Just five minutes. All you got to give me is five minutes. Once you get into that five minutes, oh, man, you're in. You're back, right? <laughs> and, then, and then I tell myself, when you're done, you're done. Just like let, and then you really have to reward yourself, right? So uh, tonight, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm most likely going to go to a hockey game down the street. It'll be like the fifth hockey game I've seen this uh, week. Now, there's a lot of people that say, like, why do you go to, oh, you know, oh, you're spending a lot of money on going to hockey games or something, which is not true in New, York, New Jersey because it's $12. But let's say if it was 38 right? Let's say that. But people might give you a hard time for spending money on yourself. I think that's an investment. The, uh, the military spends money on R&R. They spend a lot of money on R&R because it's valuable. Corporations spend a lot of money on paid time off because it's valuable. And you got to do that for yourself when you're out in Vegas. And I you see the city. And you, I know what you mean, like being out there on your own. It, it's definitely... I uh, On the weekends, I'm with my girlfriend and I'm with my friends... Uh, her friends who've become my friends, and it's very, very social. And when I come back to being alone in my place in Newark, uh, it's very disconcerting at the beginning because humans are social beings. And if you think about it, what's the worst thing they can do to you in prison is they put you in solitary confinement. And I do understand that, but it's also on day two or day three, I realize that this is really valuable for me this time. Like, it is really valuable to be on your own. And the other thing I would say, Barry, and you guys have heard me say this a hundred times, but I, I can't stress to you how important this is. If you, if you took, okay, if you took a mouse out of a cage they'd been in their whole life that was kept at 62 degrees and you put them in a wildly different cage and you and you played strobe lights all day and night in trance music and changed the temperature back and forth, what do you think is going to happen to that, mouse, that mouse's vitals? Mm -hmm. And it, the mouse isn't even gambling, by the way, right? The mouse isn't even drinking alcohol. That, that's what you're about to engage in when you go to Las Vegas. So the way I have a blast out there is I don't drink, I don't smoke the recreational pot out there, uh, I don't, and I work out. Uh, I work out in my hotel room. You can do, and you don't have to do much. Uh, the Japanese believe working out is cleansing for the spirit. And ever since I've heard that, I've never forgotten it. Because whenever I wake up and I feel a little funky that day, I just, I just do some basic stretches. I do some planks. Uh, I, I do some sit-ups. I do some push-ups. Uh, if I'm feeling really motivated, I do burpees and things like that. And uh, you can do, uh, uh, there's a lot of body weight exercises uh, on the internet that you can look up, which are pretty fun. I just do, I just do 20 or 30 minutes of that. 
And I feel great the rest of the day. You know, hot shower after you sweat, amazing. And, Barry, you like to walk. You can just go to the gym uh, and go on the treadmill. I bet if you went on the treadmill, an air-conditioned treadmill, and you just walked for 30 minutes and watched your shows or something like that, and then just did some bicep curls or something like that, just go there and have a little fun. And remember, you're not doing it to get buff. You're not doing it to lose weight. You're not do you're not doing any of that, right? You're doing it to cleanse yourself, like to sweat it out a little bit. Just like if you went to a sweat lodge, this is for you. It's like going to a spa, right? This is for you. I bet if you approached it that way, you would have so much more fun in Vegas this time. And uh, just to cleanse yourself like that once a day. And I think because you th you can imagine the mouse. In our hypothetical experiment, if that mouse got a little nervous, what would he do? Oh, he'd run on his little hamster wheel. He'd probably be okay, right? And then we got to do that for ourselves when we go to a place like Vegas. And I, if you do all those things, I do all that stuff every time. Uh, well, every time I go anywhere now, I didn't always do it. Uh, I just have an absolute blast. It's uh, the Montreal was amazing because I worked out most days and I made myself go out and do different things and not just play cards. I think that would make you really enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, I ended that on an octave that made it sound like there was more, but that's it. Yeah. I think it's what I want to say is like, I don't want people to feel that I'm saying, Oh, poor me. I've got to go to Vegas because that's ridiculous. It's just me trying to talk about a subject about, I know a lot of people that play poker, they travel on their own, and there is this sort of, there's this loneliness or this feeling with a lot of people when you get there in these places, and the thing is, I know how lucky I am to be able to say, you know what, sod it, I'm just going to book it and have two weeks in Vegas in the summer, and whether I'm on my own or not, and fantastic hotels. I mean, that it sounds crazy even contemplating or moaning about it, but I'm not, I'm just saying how... You know, I'm talking about it with Alex in the sense that he's travelled on his own a lot before as well and experienced the same thing. And I know that a few people have talked to me about when I've mentioned this before, about people that are actually on the road all the time, grinding the tournament circuit. You know, they go through the same stuff. So, yeah, I think it's great advice for myself and for lots of other people, um, Alex. So I think we'll get into the questions now for other people. Yes, sir. Let's do it. Okay, um, the first question, let me just pull it up, is, okay, we'll go for this one. Alex sent me this one that was sent to Alex because it's uh, relevant, the second part, about something Alex has already mentioned. So, hey, Alex, been watching the PC. Sorry, it's from Daniel Ciancio. Uh, hey, Alex, been watching the PCA a lot on Twitch. What do you think about the play? A lot of min raises, a lot of flatten. So many good 3-betting spots. No check raises. Some players not betting for value with second pair on the flop, etc. We'd like to hear your take either from an article or podcast or an email. Also, Borgata having the Winter Open this week. Will you be playing? Best regards, Daniel. I will be at the Borgata Winter Poker Open. I will be playing the main event. You guys look for me a lot more. I'm back in the States, baby. Let's get this done. 
Uh, let's get that championship. You know what I'm saying, Barry? How long have we been doing this podcast? Where's the Where's the trophies, man? I was on where, a hiatus. Where are the trophies? Huh? <laughs> where are they? Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get that weird Stanley Cup looking thing from the WPT. I don't even think they hand that out to anyone. But like, I'm taking it home. Not not even if I final table or win or anything. I'm just like leaving with it. But yeah, anyway. Uh. Uh, uh, what did that UFC fighter say one time? I am not impressed by your performance. I The amount of work... It's very hard to answer this question and not sound like an arrogant ass. But you have to understand, you're talking to a guy that's been going to art school, has commissioned art, has had commissioned art every month come out for 10, 12 years and you're watching someone finger paint and they're saying like, this is genius. Like this is it. <clears throat> when I watch poker on TV, it's like, it would be like someone who had studied classical artwork, ha- had learned how to do appraisals, had, engaged in it themselves had sold their own art you know not for a ton of money but has very good competency is respected within the field and they're looking at modern art and they're thinking this is just garbage this is garbage that all the quote-unquote cool kids are, are saying is cool and they're they're not it doesn't mean anything it's just worthless it's not it's not saying anything um flatting almost always Categorically, I'm looking at it's going to be in my uh, <clears throat> it's going to be in my upcoming uh, webinar. I have a database I show there, and it's from I went back and I got my Poker Stars hands uh, from like the toughest games, and I looked at three betting, and I was making a profit with almost every hand group. Three betting is the secret sauce. Nobody wants to do it because, for obvious reasons, you could uh, end your tournament in 22 minutes. And then you think about a guy like Benny Spindler, all, all, the, all the success that guy has. But every time he's at a final table, people make fun of him. Every, to- every time he gets in there, they make fun of him, right? You think of millennials that come into poker and they just don't want to let somebody open ahead of them because... Yeah, they're entitled. They think, like, how dare you do that? I'm right here, right? And we kind of mock them, like, oh, little immature kid, and oh, look at him. He blew up in a tournament. Guys, we're the idiots. Analytically, if you look at the data, we're the morons. Like, and, and this, this goes for me, too, because in WPT Montreal, I had a bunch of three-bet spots I passed up on, and I did a lot of work thinking... It, <clears throat> I, I couldn't really prove it on paper, but I there's the way you make money at tournaments is you have to cash a lot and then you have to win a lot, right? But you don't want to limp into the cash. But there uh, there is a case for oh, if you three bet here and it's good for like one big blind, but min cashing is gonna double the real money value of your stack. You should pass up here, right? Well, the equation was a little murkier than that, which was if I three bet here, it's one point four blinds. And if I min cash, it's worth like 
3x what my stack is worth right now. And I kept hedging towards caution. And I went home, and guys, we're the idiots. These kids are right. They're right for the wrong reasons, but they're right. When someone, if you open preflop with any reasonable range, you're just making one big blind, two big blinds every time somebody doesn't three bet you. If somebody three bets you, you you uh, you have an inverse free roll essentially. Your top side is fifty big blinds per hundred. Your bottom side is negative two hundred and fifty. It's a really bad situation to be in. But if nobody three bets you. You're just making money hand over fist, 100 big blinds per 100, 200 big blinds per 100, depending on the range, right? When somebody opens ahead of you, they just took that from you. You must three bet a high percentage of the time if they're opening the stuff that these people open. We're in this weird time in poker where it is socially kosher to open 5-7 suited from any position and you have audacity to three-bet in position with ace-10 offsuit versus an early position raiser. You are an audacious person. You should still be folding that hand. This imbalance will not last. What you are watching when you watch the PCA are people that are not seeking to exploit imbalances. They, they are people that are going with the trend. Now, there are some people... There are some savants who can play very small pot poker and they know so much about post-flop play and they have so many tricks up their sleeve. Maybe they can get past what I know. I, I imagine I would never give Daniel Negreanu this lecture because God knows what he knows about post-flop play. However, the vast majority of us, the humans, if the three, the three bet needs to be done. And furthermore, if if we three-bet somebody and they call us, we've won the pot. Every analytics shows we're just making... Now we're the one making hundreds of big blinds per hundred. So when people just open the 2X and they're like, you know what? I want to make your three-bet as easy as possible. And when you three-bet me, I'm never going to four-bet you. I think that's rude. I'm just going to call you out of position. My, I, I, I am flabbergasted. I am flabbergasted. And you know what? I'm going to keep saying this stuff until I win something, and then everybody's going to pay attention to me. And then you want to be the person who's ahead of that. You want to be the person who's ahead of that. So I'm very glad you're watching this stream and you go, you're going, this doesn't make sense. And the thing about... The, thing, the other thing you want to remember, I'm going to say this very slowly, Okay. Because sometimes you can hear something and you're listening passively and you don't really taste the words and turn them over in your mind. According to poker websites, when they release their data to their shareholders, 95% of their players lose money. So by definition, the average player is losing money. Do you want to do what the average player is doing? Good luck to you. Okay. Uh, the next question. I can hear myself back, Alex. Uh. <laughs> so smooth. Um, okay, next question is from Mr. Anonymous. 
and let me check as yeah he's not put his name at the end so I won't read it out um, hello my question is on opening ranges Phil Helmuth was famous for his top 10 opening hands or premium hands to play and was usually laughed at for this concept but I would like Alex to offer say hands other than pairs that we should be opening and show good results from middle positions so what non-premium hands or pairs should we look to open here from middle position if folded to us in a standard tournament? Also perhaps 3-betting hands if a serial opener keeps raising. Is 3-betting with say 10-8 suited, Jack-10 and Queen-Jack hands fine here? Thanks. I actually, during my 30-hour binge, I put together charts for all of this. Uh, it's going to be part of my new package. And if you guys want... Uh, to be kept up to date on that, uh, sign up for my newsletter at PokerHeadRush.com. And, yeah, make sure that when you get the confirmation email, make sure to filter out my address, put it into your contacts. That way it doesn't go in your spam folder. But, uh, yeah, it's a bunch of these I'm going to release. Here's the, here's the deal. The only hands you must play in Ultimate Hold'em are 8s, 9s, 10s, Jacks, Queens, Kings, Aces. Ace, queen, ace, king. Now, does that mean when you show up, you don't play those hands? Anything but those hands? Absolutely not. But I want to start with a base. The base is I made a lot of money when I was absolutely atrocious at poker because I, could, I couldn't win at poker. The first three years I played, I couldn't win. I tried bluffing people. I tried playing in position. I tried... I tried every trick I saw in the book, and I, I couldn't make money at poker. I was not naturally talented at this, right? I would play people heads up for 10, 12 hours trying to figure it out, and they always took my money. Uh, the star basketball player always took my money. The, my roommate, uh, like honor roll student, he used to always take my money. I could not figure out what to do, and I would go play limit Oldham, and I wouldn't do well. And I, I always kept a couple of bucks around, but I, I was working – you know, I was still landscaping. I was still uh, working as a security guard. I was working at Arby's. Uh, I was fishing. And uh, I read Phil Hummy's book, and he said, just play these hands. I felt, well, nothing else is working. So I did that, and I started making money hand over fist. Because people want to punish the net. Furthermore, if you're young, nobody believes you're playing netty. Anybody. Like, how hard would it be for you, Barry, to believe a 22-year-old who is playing those hands? Mm -hmm. it, Quite it, hard. <laughs> yeah, it would be difficult, right? Now, uh, a 22-year-old playing just those hands. So, that being said, if you want to make the most money at poker, you can't just stick to these hands. Unless you're playing a cash game where you have just infinite time, but if you play poker on the weekends, you don't have infinite time. Uh, it, so, And if you're playing online, the caliber of play is going to be good enough that people are going to identify what you're doing. So then it becomes, what hands can you play? Well, from middle position, I, this is an unanswerable question because I don't know if there's a guy to your left who's going to three-bet you or not. If there's a guy to your left who's going to three-bet you constantly and you're not prepared to four-bet, you don't have to play anything outside of that, uh, those hands. Uh, the ace plus, the ace-queen plus. 
There's a lot of times I have ace-jack offsuit, and I'm under the gun plus two. Like, yeah, does the hand show profit? Yes, but I have three guys to my left who three-bet quite frequently, and I don't really have a good gauge on them, so I fold. That happens all the time. Uh, sevens, sixes, same thing. I muck those in early position a lot of the time. And furthermore, let's say I am in middle position, but I know everybody gets weirded out when I bet I raise to, like, 3.1x. Uh, because, uh, how dare you? Raising more than 3x. Well, then I might open 9-7 of clubs, even though that's a pretty trash hand, because if somebody 3-bets us and we're not planning to 4-bet, we've lost the hand. If they call us, or if they all fold, we've won, right? So I'm always, before I open, I'm asking myself these questions. What is the likelihood someone is going to 3-bet me? What is the likelihood one per- just one person calls? And uh, if everybody's going to call me, I, I might still open the hand because there's a good chance it just gets folded around to the big blind, right? But I'm always looking out for that three bet. And if nobody's going to three bet me, yeah, I'll open suited gappers. Uh, it's a very small profit margin. Now, do I recommend my students do that? No, I, I do that because I can get away with that. I don't think a lot of my students can get away with that. Uh, but you can open the... you. You can open smaller pairs. You can open suited gappers. You can open suited connectors. Uh, the broadways tend to play a lot better from shorter stacks, like 30, 40x, because they make a even less than 40x, like 25 to 35x, because they make top pair, and then you cannot make a mistake with those stack sizes with top pair as long as you do not fold, right? Uh, and as far as three betting ranges, the I, I went through my database, and you're going to see this in my new webinar, and I am making money with pretty much every hand group when I three bet, EV-wise, right? Uh, because people, the field, uh, field overfolds the flop and calls too much on the turn and river in uh, tournaments, uh, according to all my databases. So if you three bet in position, they call you, uh, statistically speaking, they're not defending enough on the flop to justify doing that, so you're just making money. So the question becomes, how, how many times can you three bet in position before that rubber band snaps? And uh, because once people start four betting you, it's a, it, by the way, once they four bet you, you're in real, you have a real issue. Because if they make it 3x and you make it 9x and they make it, if they four bet to 24x uh, and you fold, 9x is about how much you make with aces. So that's a pretty serious faux pas. This is why, in my opinion, when I played poker, when I, when I started playing poker, the, the Americans lacked a lot of finesse back when Americans just ran poker stars. We lacked finesse, but we did not lack drive. I couldn't three-bet people the way I can three-bet people now. People would test me. They would come after me. They would call and then just donk leave the size of the pot. Just these really imaginative plays that were really hard to gauge, and uh, I don't see that anymore. Uh, the new breed of poker players, I, I think, is uh, uh, I, I think lazy, unmotivated, a lot of them. I, I don't think they study. Uh, I, I think they follow what other people do. And, I mean, this has always been the case in poker, which is just uh, most people follow what everybody else is doing and a- anything in life, right? And right now it's totally socially acceptable to flat a three-bet out of position and do what you want to do post-flop, and that really plays to human bias. It is deeply uncomfortable to four-bet fold. It is deeply uncomfortable to bluff. It is very uncomfortable to raise 
fold to a three bet, just straight raise fold. Humans, human beings feel like they're being exploited. If you read books by investors when they're discussing markets, you read about any Warren Buffett or any type like him, right? Uh, Ray Dalio, I think is the other guy's name. Uh, they always yeah, yeah. talk about follow human behavior. What do humans do? Human incentives. Uh, UPS tried everything in their book to speed up. Uh, it was UPS or FedEx did everything they could. They tried for years to get people to speed up. And they couldn't do it, right? They couldn't get their night shift to speed up. Then one guy just finally said, why don't we stop paying them by the hour and we'll pay them by the shift? So once they get done with their shift, they can go home. Bam, 40% productivity over the night because everybody wanted to go home. They wanted to work five and a half hours and not eight. And that's just how it works. And I mean, they were offering these people perks. They were offering them money. They were doing a lot of things that should have been an incentive, but that's just not how humans work, right? You tell them, hey, when you're done here, you can go home. That's how humans work. And we do this in poker. It's like, hey, no one's going to make fun of you anymore if you flat a three bet out of position. You want to see the flop? You go ahead and see that flop. That flop's interesting. Guess what everybody's going to do, right? And if you tell people like, hey, if you call this river, no harm, no foul. No one's going to see your hand. They're going to call the river. That's why the field calls up. Uh, calls on the river 80% of the time, 70% of the time, right? It's because it plays to human incentives. So if I see somebody opening from the hijacker cutoff, I never believe it's a tight opening range anymore. I am three-betting broadways. I'm three-betting suited gappers. I'm three-betting my small pairs. I, I am three-betting uh, ace 10 plus. I, I, I'm going after them. And if I ever see a weaker open, if I ever see a dry ace, if I ever see a suited two gapper, now I'm throwing in my own suited two gappers. I'm, th I'm throwing in uh, unsuited connectors if I'm really pushing it. Uh, I'm, go I'm going after it, right? Because uh, the vast majority of players cannot play back right now. They just cannot do it. And if you want to learn more about that, sign up for my newsletter. I I've literally been spending every waking hour of the last couple days studying this, and it's, it's been very fascinating on my end. Okay, sounds good. Um, Alex. <laughs> uh, this one is from Richard. Hey guys, I'm looking for some advice on playing hands against very loose players in tournaments. For example, I'm in er early position uh, to mid position. Two callers... Two callers... Two callers, so I'm assuming it's, or maybe there's meant to be a comma there. It's either, so let's go for early position raise, that's it, early position raise, two callers. I three bet with queens. One player who is very loose and calls after me. The original raisers both fold. In situations where the flop is ace high, I bet the flop and they call. What should we be thinking on turn here? Do we just check? With ace-high flop against the player, I struggle to fold queens here and decide to take it all the way, as weak ace is not really in their cold call range, but ace-jack or ace-queen is possible, I guess. I think he shoves ace-king. Anyway, I bet the turn, he calls, turn-jack. I bet again, he calls, the rivers are blank. I check and he bets half-pot and I fold it. Is checking flops like this okay, and perhaps even check folding flops okay? with hands like queen-queen, 
where I have three bet there is a cold call and it comes ace high or king high. Thanks. I'm really good. <laughs> this is another situation I prepared for. In my, this is making my day, Barry. Like, this question exactly. Because, again, I'm trying to make a program so people know what to do in, like, every situ- situation like this, right? So this actually just made my day. Well, you, what you're dealing with, and I don't mean this in a harsh way, uh, sir, which is, uh, that's my way of saying I forgot your name. What's his name? It's Richard. Rich- it's actually Sir Richard. Sir Richard Branson. Thank you for tuning in to our tiny little podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, but I, I tell this to myself, so just so you know, I would never tell you anything that doesn't work for me. What you're suffering from here is a bit of entitlement tilt. My queens look beautiful. These people are playing rags. Why isn't the hand holding up? You know damn well people don't like the full aces pre-flop. You know that. You know people do that. You just don't want to accept it here because it means folding your beautiful queens. And uh, something I tell people, out of position, out of position, if you're going to bet a pair, you are going to have to bet all three straights. Because if at any point you check, you, you are declaring to the other player, I have a pair or a misdraw. And people play very well when they know that. So what ends up happening, the other thing I've found is this is actually one place where the field plays pretty well. I don't see a lot of, uh, when they bet, uh, the field is kind of all over the place. It's really hard to gauge. Some guys will take shots and bluff at you. Other guys only bet for value. It's really tough to know. Whereas something I do know is the field's turn continuation bet percentage is 40%. Now, you think about that. You have a hand about a third of the time, like 33% of the time, right? That doesn't leave a whole lot of room for bluffs. So if you are not able to triple barrel with the hand, you should check call, check fold. You should put it in your checking range. And... Yes, it feels weak, but one way to exploit your opponents is to fold. And most likely, if this guy double barrels on that board, you think another great way to know if your opponent is bluffing is just try imagine being in his spot and bluffing. So this board was a 7-4 or whatever it was, right? So let's say we check called there and the turn's a 2. Or did, did we have the board, Barry? Um, let me double check. It just said ace high. Yeah. So let's say, let's say the board comes a seven, four, five. We check and the guy bets again. Try to imagine him bluffing on that turn. If you had 10, nine of hearts and like no flush draw, would you bet again on that turn? If you, if you had eights, would you turn your hand into a bluff? Uh, there's no, (laughs) huh? Sometimes. Sometimes, right? Okay. But most guys don't do it. Right? Like, most most guys just, okay, check, okay. Let's see what happens. So, again, human incentives. They want to check there because just maybe they'll get that pellet where you check on the river and they get to table their hand, right? Now, because you could have a seven on that board, and which is likely for you to check, give up with, right? Now, uh, If there's a fluster out there, I also find people are very resistant to double barreling again on ace high boards because they just go, oh, you have an ace, okay. 
I'm done. And also, it must be said, the field is atrociously bad at triple barreling. Uh, the, the field is because, again, human incentives. Well, let, let's think of it this way. Let's make this even more basic. You triple barrel bluff. Let, there's three things that can happen. One, your bet succeeds and no one knows it. So you've made this great play. You're a big fan of poker. You want to show everybody and you don't get to show anybody. Right? Well, casual fan doesn't like that. The average human doesn't like that. Number two, your triple barrel bluff works. You show. Everybody thinks you're a jackass. Okay? Again, you get nothing. Three, you triple barrel bluff. You get called. Everybody goes, well, that was a nice one, Skip. Well done. There's no upside. That's why nobody triple barrel bluffs. I mean, when you're just working on human incentives, right? Not, not somebody who's working actively against themselves to become the best poker player they can be. That a, a passive human being there sees no upside. Therefore, a check call, a check, check call, check fold on the turn, I think is best uh, because the turn continuation bet is very low. And this is not a board that lends itself to turn bluffing. But at the very least, you, you don't... Have, and by the way, that turn bet, like people go, what's the turn bet? Six big blinds? And then everybody calls with the intention to fold the river, but the guy's never bluffing that turn. Or three times out of four, he's not bluffing. So that means 75% of the time, you just slid six big blinds over him. That's how much Kings makes on average, right? So <laughs> I, I, I'm almost... People always think it's weird, like, how worked up I get during, like, really small pots live, especially on day four when I'm just really tired. But when I'm weighing out, sometimes I'll time bank for a minute there. It's because, to me, if I give away those six big blinds on the tournament, I just gave away the tournament, right? That's like the next time I get Delph Kings, I just, like, go, I, I muck them face up in an unopened pot and go, I got to take a leak, boys. Like, that's how bad <laughs> of the mistake it is to me, right? And uh, I, I don't see out of a lot of uh, my guys, and this bothers me, that, that, that drive to get rid of that weak call. Because, because the other thing, when you call in that turn, you've got to ask yourself, how am I folding to another bet, yes or no? And two... How often am I going to see another bet? Because I think in this one, the answer is yes, and I'm seeing another bet 75% of the time. Because if he bet that turn, he's got an ace most of the time, right? Like, that, that, that's just how this spot works out. Because pe people don't like betting that turn. And uh, so I think you're going to see a huge uptick on that river, right? And, uh, it, yeah, I, I think you just got a little bit of entitlement tilt because Queen's... You wait all day for queens, and then you three-bet, and you think, maybe I'm going to win this big old pot. But remember, queens is just one pair. Something I used to do for my students, I would go get, get those, well, I, di I didn't get, okay, I'm going to tweak the story a bit because it's a better story. I would just send them an image, but I always thought about doing this. Of When they got deep in a tournament, I would just go to the casino shop, and I would go get one of those hand-ranking charts for poker, and I was just going to circle the pair at the bottom of the totem pole with a Sharpie and then write, do not go broke with this, and hand it to them. Because 
if you think about it, if you look at that hand rankings chart, it's like, wow, Pear is kind of at the ass end of this. And then you watch people play No Limit Ultimate, and they're like, oh my god, my Pear! It's not working out! Well, what'd you think was gonna happen? It's a seven-card game! Anyways, uh, uh, dang, did I... Did I go Mike Ditka? Did I go football coach on that guy? Sorry, sorry about that, sir. No, if no, I did, Sir no. Richard. Uh, no, no. I think the good point to end it on was the pair. Uh, just don't go broke with this. I think. Yeah, that's, don't go that's broke. Perfect full stop. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. All right, all right, guys. That was a good one. Okay, uh, I should mention before we wrap up that I interviewed the guy this week for the podcast. Richard Munchkin, who was the guy that wrote Gambling Wizards, which was one of the inspirations for me starting One Outer way back in 2010. Um, he interviewed a lot of Chip Reese, um, Billy Walters, lots of sports bettors and uh, blackjack counters and poker players, obviously, as well. It's a fantastic book, Gambling Wizards. And he's also co-host of Gambling with an Edge podcast, which anybody should listen to poker players and it's just whole advantage play the way they work things through and look at things and it's all analytics and maths in terms of when they're you know finding little points where even games that people say it's impossible to beat you know like well Alex like human incentive no slot machines you can't never win but there's these groups that know exactly when the progressive jackpot hits a certain point where it's actually plus EV to play even slots so it's like it's a great um, sort of podcast for anyone remotely interested in poker and indeed gambling. And Sounds week. really fun. I'm, I'm going to check yeah, this out. What was the name of the book? Uh, the book is Gambling, gambling Wizards. Writing that down? Amazon. And it's, uh, I think it's only paperback, Alex, so you'll need to go old school. Um, it's really, really good. And the interviews with Chip Reese and Billy Walters are just worth it, you know, for for alone. The podcast is Gambling with an Edge, and it's on YouTube, and it's available on iTunes and Stitcher and all these things as well, if you just search for Gambling with an Edge. And you should definitely listen to the uh, Queen of Sorts, the Ivy Edge Sorting, the girl that did the Ivy Edge Sorting uh, with, with Phil Ivy is fantastic show. A great podcast. She's really good fun, and it's she really spills the beans on what went on there with Phil Ivy and stuff. Uh, she was the girl that was playing with him at at the time. So it's a great podcast. You can listen to that next time when you're you're working out or whatever, Alex, or uh, busy working away. So I will release that at some point, maybe over the weekend. It might be early next week because this show will be going out on the Thursday. And I'm playing poker tomorrow and hopefully going to have a weekend of playing poker as it's a three-day tournament. So um, I would like to... No, it's not. It's a two-day tournament. I, I tell a lie. Um, so that is it for this week. We I'll get that Richard Munchkin interview out as soon as I can. Oh, I need Alex. He's one of these uh, guys, a total renaissance man. He directed, produced and wrote many 80s and early 90s Kung Fu action films, including uh, one starring Don the Dragon Wilson and Cynthia Rothrock. As oh, well. I remember this guy. We talked about him before. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he's a really interesting guy, and the podcast was excellent. I, the interview I did with him, he really told a, an amazing story about Binions in the World Series in the 80s, 
that is insane. I mean, it's he's told it before on his own podcast, but I got him to tell it for the one com podcast because it was such a good story and people that haven't heard it will be amazed by the story about Binions in the World Series and what happened one night. And uh, he really goes into something, you know, he tells about work ethic with gambling. He was blackjack card counter, that's where he made all his money and sort of uh, earned his sort of place in the gambling world. Um, so fascinating guy, uh, fascinating stories, and I'll get that out probably early next week, Monday or Tuesday. Alex, how can people get in touch with you for your upcoming webinars? I know that you're sold out for all your stakes in the Borgata. That, is, as usual, went quick. That's all done. Um, how can people get in touch and get on the newsletter? If you guys want to sign up for my newsletter, go to PokerEdRush.com, which is kind of my ugly-looking, fun blog site, and go to the top right and sign up for the newsletter, and then you'll get all my glossy updates with all my free podcasts, all my free articles, all my free videos. And we got, I've really stepped up the production in the new year. Speaking of which, uh, I'm going to have Barry uh, post a link to a YouTube video uh, in this one uh, because I have another free one. Uh, I have another free one out. And uh, be sure to subscribe to that YouTube channel, Assassin Auto Coaching, because I have another free one I'm going to release. Uh, probably in a day or two, or I might even just do it right away <laughs> because who wants to spend all day uploading things? Might as well just get it all done. And, uh, yeah, you guys can check that out. And I just want to thank you all again for letting me have the greatest job in the world. I'm, it's amazing to work so hard on something and to be so in love with what you do for a living. I don't think many people get to feel that, and I really appreciate you guys allowing me to do that. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you for joining us again and giving out tons of free content. And I know by osmosis, I speak for like over the last year and a bit, I'm, I fell back in love with poker and picked up bits and pieces and watched through some of your webinars and stuff. And it's definitely improved uh, my mindset in certain aspects of my game and made me want to play more to the fact that I'm going to go and book Vegas for 11 days. Poor me. Um, you know, so that's that's how much that's how much it's got me loving poker again. I'm gonna put myself through that, staying in five star hotels, playing poker, and uh, mo- mo- moan it, moaning about it. So send send any donations welcome. Uh, please send them in. Uh, no, I do joke. Actually, Alex, you might be out there that time. Hopefully, we can meet up when I'm there. I'll be there June. Uh, I will be there June. I don't know the exact dates yet, but. We can uh, talk about that. Uh, one day, one day we'll meet, kid. Yeah, one one day we'll meet. Maybe. I mean, if I really want depressed, I could just hang around with Alex, I suppose. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you can go with me to the arcades at the New York, New York. Hey, you know, yeah. you never know, Barry. Maybe you created me in your mind. Maybe I'm Tyler Durden. Maybe you just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Here, I need to sit down now. You got me thinking. <laughs> That's why you never that, see me in Vegas. That's why that you would never be hilarious. See me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think that's the second funniest thing you've said ever. Thank <laughs> you. I can't remember what the first one was, but that was. The <laughs> it must have been really uh, good then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give you credit that there was something better. But no, that was good. I liked that. Um, okay, thanks for listening, everyone, and putting up with myself um, and Alex and tons of content Alex has given you, for putting up with me, rather. Um, 
Okay, we'll see you next week. Keep your questions coming in. Questions at oneouter.com. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com. And we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.